Coming up on this week's podcast. What pressure to fill some big sandals. I can't imagine what it was like to be Joshua. I don't know about you. Have you ever stepped into someone else's shoes? Hear more during this week's message on our series of Joshua. Coming up after this. Thank you for listening to New Hope Chapel's podcast. New Hope Chapel is located in Arnold, Maryland. You can find us on the web at www.newhopechapel.org. Now, here's Justin Hibbard with today's message. He was coming to ACS to teach, and I was going to a new school to be his student. And uh, he was there in seventh grade for me, eighth grade he was my Bible teacher, and he even... He would work with us. I worked with the, the music team back in middle school, and it was me and this other kid. Remember Colby Piper? Remember him? He was there, and uh, Gary would take us out of our classes to go practice. There was, I was enrolled in a journalism class. I never went to that class. I think actually I went one Sunday, and, or not one Sunday, one day, and the teacher was like, are you supposed to be here? And so uh, I owe most, a lot of my musicianship to skipping class with Gary's permission. So, and then in high school, when I went up to ninth grade, he came up to the high school, and I think I had him in 10th grade and 11th grade as a Bible teacher, and he said, Justin, hey, I know you go to church on Saturdays with your family. Would you be interested in coming and playing on the worship team here? And I said, oh, yeah, that'd be fun. And so uh, here I was in New Hope Chapel, not here at this building, but at the school, and playing with Gary and, and some of the others um, during that time, and it was great because it developed me not only as a musician, but really my spiritual walk, I have a lot to owe to the people at New Hope Chapel because here I was. It wasn't even my home church, but that's where the majority of growth was, was happening. And uh, then, you know, after college, coming back, well, actually, before I went to college, there I was painting uh, Solomon's porch with Gary, and uh, didn't really have too much of a hand in it because I had to go off to college. But when I came back and I was pastoring a church part-time, and Gary gave me a call and he said, hey, I know you're pastoring part-time on Saturday, the same church I grew up in. Would you be interested in coming on staff here as the worship pastor part-time? And so here I was. And so, you know, I was telling telling the leadership uh, a few weeks ago, I said, it's weird for me because my role has always been defined by Gary. My role was to support him and to do some other things, but mainly supporting him. And now that he's gone, what's my role, you know? <laughs> what's my role? So, and I know a lot of us feel the same way about Gary. We all love him and Mary Lou. We will miss them dearly. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. I was, I was just thinking this week, I was like, how many people are going to actually show up on Sunday? Who knows? Uh, because a lot of that, their identity comes from that. And I understand that. And we're certainly going to miss Gary. But, you know, one thing that... Um, I really appreciate about New Hope Chapel and something John Schultz said, uh, who's one of our missionaries that we support going to Turkey, he said, New Hope Chapel has always done special ministry in a special way. And he has been, he's probably the one person I think that we really communicate with besides Bev that is, was here before Gary. I think all of us have come after Gary. Uh, I know the Markhams and the Coonrats have been here for probably the longest, maybe 16 years or so. But um, So the church has kind of grown around him. But even though he is gone, doesn't mean that there is nothing for our church. And in fact, I'm encouraged because about a year ago, 
I think around a year ago, there were a couple people that came up to me at different times and said, Justin, I really feel like God is doing something and he's moving in some way that's big. And I think we would have all thought maybe, you know, we didn't all think it, it had to do with taking our pastor away. But nonetheless, I still feel that way. And I still feel like there is something big happening. And I'm encouraged. I, I was overhearing someone talking with Gary and said, you know, Gary, I've been getting a sense that, that God has been writing this next chapter in the life of New Hope Chapel. And he's writing the next chapter for you as well. And so what that chapter is, I don't know. I think we have to cross some tumultuous land to get there. But nonetheless, it is an adventure. And as God is with us, as God is on our side, we will find what it is that God has for us. So I thought that during this time, what better than to study a book that is about this? It's about transitioning. It's about a new leader. It's about uh, finding their identity finding what it was that God had for them for so long that they hadn't been able to attain. And that is to study the book of Joshua. If you think about it, Joshua is probably one of the only encouraging books in the Old Testament. If you, you can look at Genesis, and it's great, you have the creation, but then you have a whole lot of screwed up things that happen after that. Exodus, it starts off on a good foot that Moses leads the people of Israel out of uh, Egypt but then they just kind of grumble and complain the whole time, and then it's just wandering and wandering and wandering and wandering. If you want a really depressing couple of books, open First and Second Kings. That'll really, you know, get some ice cream and some tissues and just, you know, sob your eyes out, because it is the most depressing books of the Bible. It's all about so-and-so did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so-and-so did evil in the eyes of the Lord. You get a string of, he did good in the eyes of the Lord, but then it's just back to evil again. And all over, over and over and over. But Joshua is one of those books about triumph. It's about people doing the will of God, God working through the people, and people finally taking the promised land. And so we're going to start a six-week series on the book of Joshua. We'll be skipping around here and there. For the first few weeks, we'll probably go in, we'll be going in order. Um, actually, the first five weeks, pretty much in order. And then the sixth week will be kind of an overview. But this week, we'll be looking at jo- Joshua chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Joshua chapter 1. We'll read this together. says this in verse 1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Verse 6, be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. 
You kind of sense some themes right off the bat, some repetition that the Lord gives to Joshua. You know, we don't have to go very far to get sort of the gist of what's going on at this time. Right? All we have to do, let's flip back a page, because the first words that Joshua says, uh, that God says to Joshua, he says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Your turn, <laughs> you know? And if we, wanna, if, we wanna, if, we, if we didn't know who Moses was, all we have to do is flip back a page to the last chapter of Deuteronomy, chapter 34, starting at verse 10. Because what it says there is kind of the sum up of Moses' life. Remember, Deuteronomy is the last book of the books of Moses, the Pentateuch. And it's kind of a eulogy to all Moses did. And here's what it says. It says, it says Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those miraculous signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. All right, Joshua, it's your turn. (laughs) You know, I mean, what pressure to fill some big sandals. I can't imagine what it was like to be Joshua. I don't know about you. Have you ever stepped into someone else's shoes? I mean, I feel it right now, you know, like stepping into stepping up here into Gary's shoes. And I'm sure everyone who speaks over this time and even the next pastor coming in will feel that same pressure of I have these shoes to fill of this pastor who's been here for 18 years. How in the world am I going to do this? You know, I think um, I think uh, back about a year ago, I, I took a job um, at the school that I'm at working in the IT department. I replaced a guy who had been there for 11 years. 11 years. And for better or for worse, people for the longest time, even, even up until recently, they, they say, this is how they compliment you. They say, man, you did that so much better than this person, right? And it's weird because you're like, I, first of all, I don't really know that person. That really doesn't mean a whole lot to me. But it means something to them. So, or they, or if they're, if they're, if you do something a little differently, they, what do they say? They say, well, he did it that way. My daughter's into that stage right now. Like, if Carlene ever steps out and I'm watching the, the girls and my son, they say, uh, Analia's like, Daddy, Mommy does it this way. And of course I say to her, I'm not Mommy, right? We've all been there. <laughs> We've all done that. And but that's what happens. That's, that's the natural thing, and people just compare, for better or worse, and it's not really fair to that person. And certainly Joshua was stepping into a place where he was going to get compared to Moses. But one of the encouraging parts comes just a verse before where it says, in verse 9, it says, Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. I mean, what a nice treat for Joshua, especially considering that for 40 years, all of the people of Israel just basically grumbled and complained against Moses. And here we have a very different tone among the people of Israel. You know, I've always thought of Joshua because I, I, I identify a lot with Joshua. I've been in ministry and I'm young and, and I think I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing and I'm afraid and I'm terrified. And I just read these words of Joshua and I'm like, I bet Joshua is a lot like me. So I picture him to be like, I don't know, 20s or 30s, this young type of guy. But that's not really true. We know he's at least 40 years old, right? So maybe I picture him kind of like this, you know, like uh <laughs> Like a William Wallace type of guy, you know, he's got his sword. He's, he's young, but he's still, like, old enough, you know. Maybe, in his, maybe he's 40, you know, type of thing. But that's, that's how I picture him. 
But if you think about it, well, he's at least 40 years old. But uh, we actually, we can kind of figure out exactly how old he was. Caleb tells us later on in the book of Joshua, he says, when he's ready to, to receive his land, he says, I'm 85 years old. And then he recounts his life. He said, for 40 years, when I was 40 years old, I was sent as a spy with Joshua. So we know that Caleb was 40 years old when he was asked to spy out the land of Canaan. And then he says, for 40 years I wandered with the people of Israel in the desert. Of course, remember that Joshua, the reason why they're in this situation is that Joshua and Caleb, along with 10 others, were asked by Moses to spy out the land of Canaan. And that 10 of them came bad with a bad report, back with a bad report. And they said, you know what, it's filled with fortresses and filled with giants, it's, it, we can't take it. But Joshua and Caleb said, God is on our side, it's filled with milk and honey, let's take it. Of course, the ten turned Israel against Moses, Joshua, and Caleb, and, 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 they, and it says their hearts just melted, and they said, we can't do it, we're not going to go into the, new, into the promised land, and God cursed them and said, none of you, except for Joshua and Caleb, will enter into the promised land. Caleb was 40 years old at that time. He said it took 40 years to wander and then five years during the war campaign until he received his inheritance. Joshua, so we know that Joshua was probably at least 60, right? They don't give, they don't make, uh, he's probably not a teenager going out to spy the new land. But we do know this. We know that Joshua was 110 years old when he died. And if we subtract that it took seven years for Joshua to, to lead the campaign of war against Israel, and, uh, and then we subtract seven years that it took, that he divided the land, we come up with 96 years old. He probably looked a little more like Gandalf. <laughs> it was funny because there, uh, the History Channel did this thing on, um, on Joshua. They did, actually, they were doing this thing on epic battles. And they listed Joshua as one of the epic battles of all times. Think of all the epic battles. Joshua's campaign to take, to, to take Canaan was considered one of the epic battles. And so they have this guy who looked a lot more like William Wallace. And my wife said, man, Joshua's good looking. And I said, baby, I don't think he was 40 years old or 30 years old. I think he was, he was much, much older. 96 years old. Could you imagine that? 96 years old. It's like... It's like going over to Stuart and saying, Stuart, here, take the sword and, and, and cross over you know, into the land, right? And, uh, and, but Stuart drives an Audi, so he would have... <laughs> and Joshua was probably like, hey, that's great. I'll take that piece of land. It's time for me to inherit my social security, right? He's probably thinking, yeah, I'll just cross the river. You give me that plot of land. But no, God is saying, Joshua, I want you to cross the Jordan River with all the people of Israel. We'll talk about this a little bit later um, in this month. But the people of Israel, there are estimates that scholars say that the people of Israel were one million in size at this time. One million. It's like taking the city of Baltimore or something, or the city of Denver, and leading them across a river into the new land. It's amazing just how big the people of Israel were, were at this time. And Joshua was being asked to lead a war campaign at the age of 96. 96 years old. Well, there are some great commands and great promises that the Lord gives to Joshua. We'll take a look at these. Because each command sort of has a promise that is associated with this. First of all, one of the commands that God gives to Joshua, he says, I want you to lead Israel across the Jordan. 
And what is the promise? He says, every place you set forth, I will give you. Every place you set forth, I will give you. Secondly, he commands them to be strong and courageous. And what is the promise? He says, no one will be able to stand up against you. No one will be able to stand up against you. And the third promise, or the third command that he gives them, he says, obey everything I command you. Obey the book of the law. Obey, obey, meditate on it. Meditate on it. We're going to see what happens when the people of Israel do not obey God. Because that happens later on in the book of Joshua. And then his promise is, I will be with you wherever you go. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Those are some awesome promises. And if we think about them, there are, very three, there are three distinct categories that God is promising Joshua. First of all, he is pro- promising provision, physical provision. He is promising a new land. Secondly, he is promising him emotional security. Joshua, don't be afraid. I will be with you. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. I will be with you. And the third thing that he promises him is spiritual blessing. I will never leave you nor forsake you. As I was with Moses. Remember we said that, that Moses met with God face to face. The relationship with God that, that Moses had was so deep and profound. And he says, I will be with you wherever you go. These are some really important lessons, I think, for us. These are things that God promises us. First of all, he promises us physical provision, doesn't he? Jesus said, have I not clothed the flowers of the field and the birds of the air? How much more will I give to you? I don't want to make light of the fact that people suffer and people have deep, extreme needs. It certainly is the case. Maybe the case here. But we have to remember that God will provide. And sometimes he provides through us as a church, as a community. Sometimes he provides in miraculous ways. But it is important, like Joshua had to trust the Lord, we have to trust the Lord. You know, another thing about this verse, a lot of people may use this as a name it and claim it type of thing. Where they say, see, God said to Joshua, just step your foot onto the land and it's yours. But that's not what God says to Joshua, right? God gives Joshua boundaries. And he says, my will is for you to take this particular piece of land. So if Joshua were to say, that's nice, God, but I'm thinking about going south and west over the Red Sea and into Egypt, and I'm going to take that land, God would have said, no deal, right? He said, the land that I have for you, the place that I have for you is specific. What I have for you is specific. And I think that's important. We have to hear what the Lord is giving to us, asking us to go and follow and take what he is giving us. But secondly, one thing we have to remember is that God is with us. I think there's a lot of times in the church where people are afraid of ministry. They're afraid even outside the church. They're afraid to do things for the Lord. They're afraid to step up in the workplace and tell people about Christ, or at least to stand up and say, I'd appreciate if you not take my Lord's name in vain. Why? Because, well, I might get labeled as a Jesus freak. Then, or, or, or maybe, you know, if I, if I stand up for the Lord, well, you know what? Maybe I, start have to, I have to start acting different. Maybe I have to be careful with the words that I say. In the church, maybe it's, well, I'm, I'm afraid. I'm afraid because if I try that, I might fail. 
And we have to be careful about that. You know, if you remember about a year ago, you probably don't, but if you, if you remember a year ago, I spoke on discipleship. And I said the reason why Peter got out of the boat was because he saw what his rabbi was doing, and he knew that rabbis, that, that disciples of rabbis, the calling to be a disciple was to do exactly what the rabbi was doing. So they followed the rabbi wherever they went. So when he sees Jesus on the water, walking on the water, he thinks to himself, if Jesus is doing it, he wants me to do it. And so he walks out on the water. And right, he's walking, right? He's walking, he's walking, and then he starts sinking because he gets afraid. And Jesus reaches down and picks him up and he says, Peter, why did you doubt? And Jesus doesn't say, why did you doubt me? I think Jesus was saying, why did you doubt what I was doing through you? Why did you doubt that I was empowering you to do this? Why did you doubt? Why were you afraid? You know, one of the things I appreciate about New Hope Chapel is that people can try things here. And things sometimes work out and things sometimes don't work out. But you don't have people screaming at your face and saying, why didn't you do this better? You know, that's one thing I've always appreciated. I mess up all the time. Maybe you don't know it. I mess up all the time. <laughs> I'm just good at hiding it, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but what's great is that the people that I'm around aren't saying, Justin, you're awful. Take a seat. You know, they encourage me to do better. They encourage me by loving me, by accepting who I am and giving the grace that I need. I, I find it funny that sometimes churches lack the same, or just so, the, the grace that Jesus gives us and to give to others, oftentimes churches lack to give that grace. Jesus is super forgiving. You know, he, he doesn't berate Peter when Peter gets up. He just says, why did you doubt? He doesn't say, you're, you're, you're a failure, you're useless, or anything like that. He picks him up. And he says, well, you'll, you'll learn. You'll learn. You know, when Peter denies Jesus, sure, it made him sad. He sees him on the, on the shore. He doesn't say, you're not my disciple anymore. Right? He, he forgives him. He loves him. And that's what I really appreciate about this church. One of the things I really appreciate. And churches need to have that safe place, right? To have that safe place to try things. And you know what? Things may work out and things don't. But let me say this. That if God calls you to do something, there is no such thing as failure. It may have served a purpose for a time, and maybe that time has passed. But God does not call his people at something and then fail. You know, when Moses gets to the edge of the Red Sea and he's looking at it and he's like, why, why did you do this, God? And throughout all this time, you know, the people of Israel are saying, God, why did you bring us out here? It was so much better in Egypt. Or Joshua is going to get uh, thwarted by the people of Ai after Achan's sin. We'll look at that. And he's going to say, God, why did you bring us out here to embarrass us? That's not what God is doing. God did not do that. When you think about the people that have served the Lord and have given their life, it was not for nothing. Think of Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, and some of the others that went down to the Alka Indians. And there they were to minister to them. They spent so much time planning, 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 planning. They land, and then they're murdered. And he thinks to themselves, what a waste, right? I was reading the other night that after the word of their death got out, thousands of people asked to sign up for Nate Saint's job, to fly down there, and to keep the mission going. And because of their work that they began there in the Alka Indians, 
those people came to, the, came to faith later on, came to the Lord later on in life. But it all began there. And it wasn't ended because these missionaries were martyred. But rather it began when they began planning and continued because of their deaths. God does not call us to fail. And so he says, I will, I will be with you. Don't be worried. Don't be terrified. I know that's hard. That's hard for me. Don't be terrified. I will lead you. But the last thing is spiritual blessing. You know, the, the beautiful thing about this is that Joshua, God does not ask Joshua. He doesn't say, Joshua, Moses obeyed me 96% of the time. You have to at least do that, right? He doesn't say, I want you to be exactly like Joshua. He says, I want you, Joshua, to lead me, to lead the people of Israel. He's not comparing him to Moses like probably so many other people did. He's not saying, well, you've got to do it exactly like Moses. He's saying, you're Joshua. You're your own unique personality. You're your, your own unique person. But here's the task that I want you to do. And I want you to obey me. The standard that we have to live up to is not each other. The standard we have to live up to is Jesus Christ. The person that we have to conform to is not the person that we, we succeed. It is the person of Jesus. And I know that seems like, well, Justin, that's even harder. Yeah, it's true. But if you think about it, a lot of times we identify that person and we see the way they do it and we think we have to have the same personality that they have to do the things that they did, right? But that's not the case. Because Jesus gives us our own personality. He, he is with us. And then he says, obey me. Just do it. Obey me. Obey me and walk with me. And what a blessing to know that when we walk with the Lord, he is right there with us. He is right there. He is right there. Right there by our side. We don't have to worry about the things of this world because Jesus Christ is right there with us. Well, one of the other things that is beautiful about Joshua chapter 1, and I'm going to share something with you because this is a promise that he gives to the people. It starts in um, verse 18. I think my eyes are going bad, so I have to start using an iPad as well. I don't know. I'm sorry, verse 10. (laughs) So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your supplies ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. But to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you. The Lord your God is giving you rest and has granted you this land. Your wives, your children, and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan, but all your fighting men, fully armed, must cross overhead of your brothers. You would help your brothers. Well, one of the key words in here that Joshua is saying to the people of Israel is this, the word rest. He is offering the people of Israel rest that they never had. They wandered. They wandered. They, they, they were aimless and hopeless. And Josh was saying there is rest on the horizon. You know, rest is a very important part of the Judeo-Christian faith. It started off when, when, when the Lord created the universe in six days and in the seventh day he rested. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, it says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it thou shalt not do any work. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. 
Hebrews tells us there now remains a Sabbath rest for God's people, and that Sabbath rest is in Jesus Christ. The rest is what we all look forward to. And there's lots of different types of rest, right? Uh, There's rest uh, from your work when you come home. You rest and relax. There's rest that you may take on Sunday. You may just choose, I'm not going to do any work. There is another type of rest, and that is doing the work of God. I find is restful. And the reason why is because you're doing something that you're supposed to be doing. You ever have a job that you're like, what is the point of this job? I tell you what, it starts nagging at your mind. And it's, it's almost like uneasy because you're like, I'm not feeling like this is what the Lord's calling me to do. And I'm not saying that if it's not in ministry, if it's not in church, it's not a job that God's calling you. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, if you've ever been in that situation where you're not doing what God is calling you to do, it is not restful. But doing the work of God is restful. But yet it is work. I remember, um, it was a couple weeks ago, that was probably one of the busier Sundays that I can remember. I was here about 8.30, setting up for worship team, and a lot of you were in the same boat I was in. And we were, and we, you know, led worship, and we had the service, and then afterwards, I ran, took the kids to, to uh, Red Robin, and I'll tell you what, I've never scarfed down food so fast in my life. It was like a world record with three kids and my wife, and we just ate and came back for um, Bill Cox's memorial service and had that, and then afterwards, around it was 6 o'clock, we had the guy from the BGC come and share with us. And so we were there. And then afterwards, I was talking with someone. I didn't get home till like 11 o'clock that night. And, and I thought to myself, I'm like, wow, I'm exhausted. But you know what? Like, that is exactly, there was nothing more restful than knowing, than doing the work of God and knowing you're doing what the Lord has called you to do. It is such a peace. It is a shalom, a peace of God. And that is what Joshua was saying to his people. And, and notice a couple of things. First of all, there were a few tribes that Moses had already given land to. They were settled. They had their rest. They were like, here's my land. I'm good to go. I don't need to enter that promised land. And what does Joshua say? He says to them, no, no, no. You need to go and cross the Jordan River with your brothers so that they can have the same rest that you have. They can have, they can achieve that as well. They can have the same thing that you've enjoyed all these years for themselves, but they need your help. I think this is a crucial lesson for us here at New Hope Chapel. You know, ahead of us is a Jordan River. There's a, a crossing that we have to do, and that crossing could take months. Who knows? And a lot of people might say at this time, you know what? You know what? I'm, I'm, th- I'm done. You know, I I come to church, I work so hard all week long, and I come to church to have some stability, and I don't need this stuff. I'll just just go somewhere else that has a pastor, that that is stable. And maybe that's what people will say. But I want to say to you this, is that there is rest on the horizon. There is a promised land for us here as a community. We have subscribed to this community. We have said, I want to be a part of this community here. And there is a place that God is bringing us to. There is something on the other side of that uncertain Jordan River that we have to cross. And we have to cross it together. We all have to cross it together. And some of us have maybe put in our time in ministry and may have said, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of chilling out and, and so forth. But I want to say to you that there is something that God has for you to do. And I want you to be in prayer about that. And I want this next six weeks to be six weeks where we really listen to the Lord. If we're just coming in on Sunday morning 
and that's it for our spiritual walk with God, we're missing out on so much. But if we're committed, six weeks, hang with me for six weeks, and pray each day, God, what do you have for me? Make me a person of vision. Show me what it is on that other side of the Jordan River that you have for me. And there's going to be work involved for sure. There was work for all of Israel to be involved. But God has something special for all of us, for all of us to partake in. When I look around to the communities out here, I think there's a lot of people that need to be reached, a lot of people that need to hear the gospel. Who knows what will happen when we have our carnival in a few Sundays and, and the community comes and we can share with them the gospel, open our doors to them and say, we want, we want you to hear about our Savior. Who knows what will happen? But the point is, is that we are all in this together. So six weeks. And in the time of six weeks, we'll hear about things like the people that God uses to fulfill his purpose. We'll hear about the, the importance of community. We'll hear about all of these lessons. I'll be sending stuff out during the, the midweek for us to study and pray about some things that might help focus um, our attention on the Lord. But I'm just asking you to pray with me for six weeks and say, God, where do you have us to go? I think we'll learn that there is triumph in the transition and that God will lead us if we allow him to do that. Hi, this is Justin Hibbard, worship pastor of New Hope Chapel. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it was a blessing and an encouragement to you. Our church, New Hope Chapel, is located in Arnold, Maryland, just outside of Annapolis. So if you're ever in the area, please stop by and visit us. We'd love to have you. You can find out more information about our church at newhopechapel.org. God bless.